Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Board Game Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to dive deep into a single mechanic or feature that makes a board game compelling. My name is Aaron Hall, I'm your host, and I thank you for being here. Each episode, we start by looking at a board game-related feature topic before jumping into a breakdown of a board game mechanic. In this episode, we're going to break down a mechanic in the game Flamme Rouge. If you've never played this game, it's a racing game, a bicycle racing game, and I know that theme isn't immediately exciting, I wasn't excited by the box or the idea of this game, but the gameplay is really fun and there's a specific mechanic in there that's very thematic and something that really pushes this game over the top for me and makes it something that I'm always excited to play. But first, let's get to our featured topic. Our featured topic for this episode is Losing Well. I was inspired to talk about this by a recent play I had of Everdell. If you've never played Everdell, it's a delightful worker placement game where you compete to build your own little village of animals. I'll be talking about a mechanic from that game in a future episode, but for right now, I want to focus on my one recent play of the game and a situation where I was a gigantic, gigantic loser. To say I got destroyed in this game of Everdell would be an understatement. It would be a huge understatement. Even now, weeks after the game, I still don't fully understand how things went so terribly wrong. Have you ever seen someone who went through a bad car wreck or something like that and they're so shaken up that they can't even remember or explain what happened? They're just in shock and kind of in a weird trance. That's how I feel about this game of Everdell. It was a three-player game and myself and one other player were creating these inefficient, uninspired villages. We were doing terrible. I mean, that's just a fact. What made it way worse is that while we're over there just being completely bad at the game, the third player we're playing with is constructing the most flawless animal village the land of Everdell has ever seen. Every card he played comboed, resources seemed to flow from every direction. It was so efficient and powerful that multiple times I paused to triple check that some rule wasn't me broken. But no, the only thing being broken was my spirit as my pathetic little creatures toiled sickly in my makeshift horrible village while the bright light and sweet smells of God's favorite animal village across the way reminded them how wretched it was to be on my side instead of my opponent. That's how bad it was. It was that bad. I feel like I owe the animal kingdom an apology for how terrible I did at this game. In all seriousness, this was the first time in years that I actually started to feel like I wasn't having any fun because of how badly I was losing. Now, I'm used to losing at board games. I actually lose far more often than I win, but I usually still have fun the entire way. So this wasn't just a case of me being a sore loser. I'm used to being a loser at board games, but this was different. This was bad. For a few turns, I definitely wasn't losing well. I stopped caring. I stopped enjoying the camaraderie at the table. It was just bad all around. And I think we've all felt that way before in a gaming session, but it's really important to recognize when you're entering that zone and it's important to do whatever you can to get out of it. Board games are about having fun and you're going to lose more often than you're going to win. And sometimes you're just going to lose really badly. A really good thing you can do to pull out of a last place funk mid game is to focus on the game mechanics. 
As I entered my last season of that game of Everdell, I decided to explore something new. My village, the engine that you build, was total garbage. I had no synergy, no combos to speak of, but there was a way to scoop some points that had nothing to do with how well my village had been set up. This is something I've never even really paid attention to because I'm more focused on getting the most out of my village. But as I explored this possibility, I saw that there really was a chance to get some extra points that you don't normally see out there. I was able to pull 18 victory points out of thin air just by thinking outside the box. I didn't even come close to winning, so don't get me wrong, but by focusing on the mechanics and on chasing a new strategy, I pulled out of my funk and actually had fun in that last part of the game. There are a lot of things you can focus on to make the gaming experience better if you're losing badly. You can do what I just described and try new strategies, most quality games have multiple paths to victory and some are less obvious than others. You can spend some time and examine what went wrong with your game and how you can do better next time. For me, I didn't take enough time to plan or strategize in the early turns of that game of Everdell. The next time I return to that game, I plan on being a little more thorough and doing more planning as I set out to construct my village. Another thing you can do is just focus on the people you're playing games with. If the game has gotten away from you and you're clearly not going to win, then guess what? You're still sitting around a table with good people who enjoy your company and share your love for a hobby. That's not a bad situation to be in. So maybe focus a little on small conversations that don't disrupt the game flow and just enjoy being social for a bit until the game wraps up. No matter what you do in these situations, it's important that board gaming is a shared experience. You don't have to be fake at the table. You don't have to pretend like you're having the time of your life, even if you're getting crushed. But try to be a good sport, no matter if you're winning or losing. Sulking or getting overly frustrated impacts everyone around you, and it can drag down the whole game night. It's natural to feel a little disappointed or frustrated when losing, but learn to recognize and manage those feelings so they don't have a negative impact. And who knows, you might just win the next game that you play. Now, let's move on and look at a mechanic from the racing game, Flamme Rouge. Flamme Rouge is a two to four player racing game designed by Asger Harding Granrud and published in 2016 by Stronghold Games. It's currently ranked 223 on Board Game Geek. Flamme Rouge is a bicycle racing game, very much like the Tour de France, where each player has a team of two riders. Your riders are known as a roller, who is a solid average speed rider, and a sprinter, who has a few really high speed cards, but also has some lower speed cards than the roller. The track that you'll be racing on is created by placing modular road tiles together to create the overall track. These tiles can be straightaways, slight turns, or even sharp turns. The game provides you with several different track layouts, so in each game you'll be racing on a different setup, which is a really cool feature. You can also go rogue and create your own tracks if you want. They may or may not work out very well depending how you set them up, but that's an option. So you've got your track set up and you're waiting at the starting line. Here's how the game plays. Each of your riders starts with a deck of 15 cards. You're moving both of your riders each turn. So you choose one of them, draw four cards from their deck, and then select one of these cards. They're called energy cards. The number on this card indicates how many spaces forward this rider will move this turn. After this, you draw four from your other rider's deck, make a selection there, and then all players reveal the cards they've chosen. Riders move from front to back, so whoever is in the front goes first, then is followed by each other rider in order until all riders have moved forward. 
Here's a key thing to keep in mind, and one of the things that makes Flamme Rouge amazing. After a card is played, it's removed from the game. That makes it extremely important to manage your hand and strategically choose your energy card. Remember, each of your riders has just 15 cards. So if you start using up your sprinter's top energy cards too early, you'll be left with only low value cards when you get near the final section of the race. But if you play too conservatively, your opponents may jump out to a big lead and make it difficult for you to catch up later down the track. This need for precise strategic hand management is so satisfying. It gives Flamme Rouge a little bit of a, a sense of cat and mouse. I know I've used that phrase before, but it's apparently something that really appeals to me in, in games. Because you're trying to figure out, are your opponents going to try to fly out to a big lead early? Because if so, you may need to blow some higher energy cards to at least stay close to them. Are they going to roll out slowly and try to save their big cards for the end? If that's the case, you may want to sprint ahead a bit and open up a big lead of your own. I love when games force you to consider not just your own move, but the moves of others. It adds a strategic layer that makes things so much more enjoyable. And what's amazing about Flamme Rouge is that this is a very simple game. You're seriously just working with two 15 card decks and picking a card with a number on it. And yet you have several layers of strategy that you're having to consider as you make your decisions. Once every rider has moved, you then check for two things on the board. The first is slipstreaming, or if you're more familiar with car racing, you might recognize it as the term drafting. If a rider or a group of riders is only one square away from the rider or riders in front of them, then they slipstream or draft off of them and all move up one square. So let's say you and three other riders are all grouped up and you're behind the lead group of riders. If this back group gets to within one square of the lead group, then all of you will slipstream forward, creating one large group. It may sound simple, but again, this simple rule creates some great strategic depth because now I don't have to try to catch up all the way. I just have to make sure I don't fall behind by more than one square. Or I can strategize with my own two riders and get one position in front so my back rider can slipstream up, gaining extra movement. I know, again, it sounds maybe a little simple. It might even sound lame because, to be honest, the first time I was reading this rule, it sounded a little lame to me, but I have to say, the first time you see a big group of riders slipstream up and all surge forward on the track, it's really awesome. It completely changes how you're thinking about the movement once you realize that the slipstream mechanic is there for you to take advantage of. So that's all the movement done, but before you move on to the next turn, there's one last thing you check. And this leads us to our mechanic that we're breaking down this episode, the exhaustion cards. Drafting off a big group of riders is easy. You just get in their slipstream and let it pull you. But being the one out in front pulling this big group of riders, that's exhausting. And Flamme Rouge represents this with the incredible mechanic, exhaustion cards. Once every rider has moved and all slipstreams have been accounted for, you then check any rider who has nothing but open road in front of them. That rider gains an exhaustion card, which is a movement of two, the lowest number in the game. This tiny 15 card deck you have of varying values, the deck that you're drawing four cards from each turn, hoping to pull the perfect movement card, you just added a two into it, which is terrible. So not only are your chances of pulling the card you want lower, but now you have a higher chance of getting an unlucky hand full of low value cards. 
So who does this punish? Two people really. Either the riders who are off to too quick of a start and are leading the whole race, or riders who are going too slow and have separated off the main group so far that they aren't able to slipstream up. It's the two strategies of the game that I mentioned earlier, and yet now here's this punishment introduced for running either of these strategies. I found this to be so brilliant. The game has two very optimal strategies, front running or saving up high cards until the end. And so the designer comes in and creates these exhaustion cards that punish anyone running the most optimal strategies. What's so neat is that this creates something completely new. If the front running strategy is filling my deck with exhaustion cards and the saving high cards until the end and hanging back strategy is filling my deck with exhaustion cards, there emerges a third strategy that is arguably the best strategy, being in the middle of the pack. I'm pretty sure that you can clearly state that in this game, being in second place is better than being in first place, at least for the majority of the race. How cool is it that there's a mechanic in a racing game that creates a situation like that? It's so unique and does so much to make this game rise above its apparent simplicity. And it's not just some arbitrary mechanic, it's perfectly thematic. The game would actually be less thematic without the exhaustion cards because it truly is more physically draining being at the head of a pack of riders than it is being in the midst of a pack of riders. The last time I played Flamme Rouge, I decided I was going to go all out. Every turn, I took my highest possible card and I had my riders pedal like their lives depended on it. Exhaustion cards? Bring them on. We're sprinting for the finish. By the final section of the track, my lead was dwindling and I was playing Russian roulette with every draw. I picked up my first card, it's an exhaustion card that'll only move me two. My second card, an exhaustion card, movement of two. Third card, uh-oh, exhaustion card, movement of two. Fourth and final card for that rider this turn, a four, one of the last remaining decent movement cards in my deck. I ended up rolling across the finish line just two spaces in front of the rest of the pack. My daring push your luck strategy somehow succeeding. It was a thrilling game and to be fair, it's a strategy that's going to fail probably 70% of the time, but I love that the game sets it up so that things like this can happen. My riders were completely spent. Their legs were like rubber, their bodies cramping, they're covered in sweat from head to toe. Fear was creeping in as the other riders pulled closer and closer turn after turn. It was a great gaming experience thanks to the excellent exhaustion card mechanic. I find racing games to be generally pretty fantastic and one of the best ones out there is Flamme Rouge. If you've avoided this game because it looks a little boring, let me encourage you to pick it up and give it a shot. It's easy to teach, it's easy for players to learn, it doesn't overstay its welcome, and it's been a hit every single time I've gotten it to the table. As we near the end of the episode, I always like to mention a game I'm looking forward to playing soon. This episode, I also wanna mix things up a bit and talk about some of the most recent games that I've purchased. I found myself mixed up with a bad element lately, a group of people that are certainly destined to drag me down, lead me down some dark paths, and those people are the hot deals forum on Board Game Geek. The only thing I like more than buying new board games 
is buying new board games for a fraction of their regular price. So I've been on a bit of a tear lately, finding great deals and purchasing some more board games than usual. And I'd like to talk about some of the things I've picked up. I got a copy of Can't Stop, the dice rolling pusher luck game. If you don't know this one, it doesn't even matter. Just find yourself a copy. It's pure dice rolling pusher luck goodness. You're just trying to roll certain numbers and move your little scoring cones up these tracks. It really is a blast. It's pretty simple once people kind of understand the rules. And one of those games that everyone's just kind of yelling and, and rooting for people to fail and roll the wrong numbers. We've been having so much fun with it. It's just really one of those games I can see us bringing to the table again and again. Pandasaurus had a great sale recently and I picked up Sonora, a flick and write game. This game is so much fun. You flick these discs onto a board and depending on where they land, you'll then make progress in one of four kind of puzzle areas on your roll and write board. I know that last episode I talked about my growing distaste for roll and writes, but this one is so much fun and it's so different. I also got a great looking game called Godspeed from Pandasaurus. I haven't gotten it to the table yet, but it looks great and for just 10 bucks I couldn't resist. I'll be sure to report back on that one once I've gotten a few plays in. Let's see, what else did I pick up recently? I've got Planet Unknown on order. I'm excited about that one. It's a pretty new game. It's a polyomino game where you're turning this lazy Susan and everyone is picking tiles at the same time from it. It's received really good reviews and a lot of the people that I trust seem to love it. So I'm excited to get that one and try it out. I also picked up a copy of It's a Wonderful Kingdom, the two-player follow-up to the great drafting game It's a Wonderful World. I'm excited about that one. I really enjoy a good two-player game and I'm looking forward to trying that one. I also picked up two games from the miniature market sale this week. I got Lost Legends and Divinity Derby. I've been looking for a copy of Divinity Derby for a while now. I'm really excited to have picked this up for the low, low price of $12. In this game, you're one of the gods of Olympus and you've gathered these mythical creatures for a race and you and the other gods are betting on the outcome. So far in my life, I've never played a betting slash racing game that I didn't love. That might be a double negative, but I think you know what I meant. So I'm hoping this game continues that trend and I love it. It's got a mechanic in it that if it turns out as cool as I expect, I'm sure I'll be talking about in a future episode. As far as what I'm looking forward to playing, I recently came across one of my older games called Trains and Stations. I picked this up from Barnes and Noble years and years ago on clearance. We played it once and I remember really liking it and really being surprised by how good it was, but it's since been collecting dust. So I'm excited to get that one back out on the table and see what I think. That's going to do it for this episode. I want to once again thank you for being here and listening along. We'd love to hear from you. There's several ways for you to get in touch with the show. You can email us at aaron at bgbreakdown.com. That's Aaron with two A's, A-A-R-O-N. On Facebook, search Board Game Breakdown. Follow the page there. You can also follow us on Instagram. BG Breakdown is our handle there. We post a lot of photos of games and just updates on what we're playing there. We're also on Board Game Arena. Send a friend request or a game request to BG Breakdown. We'd love to play a game with you on there. I hope you're having a great week, playing some good games with good people. Take care of yourself. And we'll talk to you again in the next episode.